This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your hard-drinking, hard-smoking, rock-hand-having host, Javi. What a bitch. <laughs> I've Finally! Been secretly, I've been telling myself for the longest time that one of these days I'm going to use our off-air greeting for each other on the show. <laughs> yeah, I need you to stop pretending like you're some <laughs> fucking... Like prim and proper professional podcast host, and I need you to let out the little trash boy that I know you are <laughs> to accept the fact that I'm actually a fucking scumbag in real life. Yeah, just live your trash boy life the way I the audience already knows I'm a trash boy, they know I eat trash <laughs> and I have become trash. Now it's your turn to accept who you really are. God, that's what this movie's about. It's about accepting who you really are. <laughs> yeah, this week we're talking Hellboy. Uh, this is a 2004 movie directed by Guillermo del Toro and is based on uh, the Dark Horse comics character. Si, senor. So Dark Horse is one of the... Um, I guess you can call them guerrilla imprints that came out of the 90s like Mm -hmm. 80s into the 90s so it was like during this time a lot of like the big thing about dark horse and image comics too unlike dc and marvel where the companies own the rights to these characters the big thing to remember with dark horse and uh image is that the creators own their own stuff here so uh originally hellboy was was a character created by mike mignola um and he went on to essentially write hellboy for i think more than 10 years uh he wrote and drew if i remember correctly and he has like this very distinct style very cartoony very fun but always it pairs like really cool with the weird cthulhu myth inspiration behind hellboy uh if i remember correctly one of the things is uh one of his inspirations uh for the character included um like some of the hulk like some of the cult characters from uh marvel and dc and a lot like he drew a lot from cthulhu uh, mythos and yeah like hellboy was just killing it during the especially during the 90s when there was this boom for anti-heroes yeah, um, this feels like something that would have came at a time when stuff like Spawn was popular. The other thing, too, that Dark Horse Comics did is they did The Mask, which in 94, it gets uh, it gets adapted into that like goofy, funny, you know, Jim Carrey movie that we all love. But if mm-hmm. you actually go back and read the comic book series, uh, The Mask is actually like one of the darkest like comic books like like just the the fact that they made that movie from that like material is actually pretty shocking uh and worth a book because it's just so different (laughs) if i had my way jim carrey would be mowing down innocent old ladies in a cadillac that (laughs) he pulled out of his pants (laughs) 
<laughs> and no, that is not a uh, euphemism for his penis. But yeah, like, you know, the grim and gritty really took over in the 90s. And then extreme was kind of like the way to go in the in the 90s or in the 80s. It was grim and gritty 90s. It was more, you know, capital X extreme. But like Hellboy, Lobo, Spawn, like these lone wolf type of characters, uh, one man standing against all kinds of craziness was like the big thing behind these characters. Uh, and yeah, he just got really popular. And luckily, thankfully, the, the rights to Hellboy made their way to a very, uh, I'm, I'm going to try really hard not to be biased. Because right off the bat, I'm going to tell y'all right now, Guillermo del Toro, I love this man. <laughs> I think he is a fantastic filmmaker. I think he is a great monster designer. And like, especially looking back now, it just makes perfect sense that this is the guy that got the rights and got the chance to, to, to direct Hellboy, you know? Um, Guillermo just- del Toro is a auteur. And I think this is the first movie that he's directed that we've covered on this show. I'm not I'm familiar with the reputation that he has and I've seen some of the work. I really think that even though we didn't put it as part of this uh, October schedule, I really do want us to come together and uh, do do some Del Toro uh, in November or December this year. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just he he's a guy who's like, as you said, just has such a great vision for stuff. Um, it's very clear, you know, what his visual style is in terms of creature design, even though he's not the one who's creating them. It's almost like, it's kind of like Tim Burton, right? Like, you know, that Tim Burton isn't the guy like putting together costumes and stuff that could be like someone from Stan Winston studios or something, but -hmm. you know, when you're looking at Tim Burton sketches and just like the style of his movies, you know, where that's coming from. And I, and I get the same feeling when I see Del Toro's stuff. So mm-hmm. I have zero, like, uh, you know, I don't know anything about this comic book at all. I've never read a single Hellboy comic. I haven't seen, I haven't seen any of the three movies that have been made, either this or the sequel before this podcast, or even that 2019 reboot. Um, so this is my like completely first uh, introduction to Hellboy. And it kind of came around the time of like, a bunch like stuff like Van Helsing and like just a bunch of stuff that was coming out at the time and it did feel like like they were throwing things at the wall and also because this is like 04 just two years after Spider-Man 1 the year after X2 it just it feels like we're still in this era that it's not going to change until we hit like the mid the late aughts uh, with like Dark Knight and Iron Man MCU, like that it kind of that that comic book movies shift in terms of what the style is. But this does feel a little bit Tim Burton Batman as well, and I think everything has a little f- Tim Burton flavor in it. Uh, from like from X two to even a little bit of Spider Man, even that takes a lot of Christopher Reeve's Superman as well. But this, yeah, it just we feel like. I feel like in some ways we're living at the very tail end of that Tim Burton Gothic Batman 89 style. Yeah, definitely. Like they're, they're, I think Gothic is a good way to put it because this is one of the few movies that you and I have had a chance since the pandemic started to watch together. And like, and I remember, I think I, I was the one that pointed it out. I pointed out how Gothic everything looks in this movie. And then you pointed out, 
how it did remind you a lot of like that Tim Burton Batman and how it, it reminded you of that 90s um just like dark not necessarily dark in tone but just like dark architecture and just how everything looked so it is really interesting that Hellboy still does draw on a lot of these previous uh comic book movies um but yeah I'm trying to think if there's anything else to cover for that people might want to know about Hellboy before we get started um yeah he's a paranormal investigating demon that likes punching monsters in the face with his giant rock hand <laughs> i <laughs> before we get into the actual story i also would like to say that i'm a card carrying member of the ron perlman fan club <laughs> it this one of the things that i did appreciate about this movie and why i was excited to like watch it for this podcast is ron perlman is a fan fucking tastic character actor and mm-hmm. i see him in tons of stuff that i like now, the Del Toro movie that this movie most makes me think of besides Tim Burton's Batman is the movie that Del Toro did two years before this, and that's Blade Two, uh, mm-hmm. the sequel. And Ron Perlman is one of the actors in that movie. And it, it's kind of like, you know, it, it is a sci-fi, like, horror monster, like, team-up deal as well. And it feels like, in some ways blade two was like his warm-up to get to this finally and i just appreciate the fact that this is one of the few moments that i've ever seen ron perlman as like the leading man in a movie yeah actually come to think of it you're and i think we did talk about that too you never really see ron perlman um we 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 never really get to see ron perlman be the main character and even now as his like popularity has gotten especially after this movie where his popularity got bigger um and even though he took more prominent roles specifically as clay in sons of anarchy he was always a part of an ensemble never actually like the leading guy so it was cool to see him because he has this very gruff very recognizable voice he has just this look to him where he just looks like a mean guy but then you hear stories about how he's like one of the nicest guys ever (laughs) like so nice like that he apparently i remember hearing the story about him going to visit a kid in the hospital and the kid's favorite character was hellboy um so he actually went through like the eight hour process of putting the prosthetics and all the makeup on just so he can go visit this kid in character and it's like dang man he's just one of those nice guys <laughs> and you and we and yeah we we stand uh ron perlman up in this podcast <laughs> so yeah like it was really interesting i guess the the way this movie was uh you know came through is that del toro mike mignola were both um we're both uh just kind of shopping this movie around a lot of studios and i guess one of the big things is that the the you know they were trying to get yeah they were just trying to shop it around luckily uh del toro had a pretty good uh pedigree at this point he first uh directed mimics i think in 97 uh which gets him the job for blade 2 but I think the one film that got him really noticed was this horror, like kind of like a psychological horror movie uh, about the Spanish Revolution called The Devil's Backbone, which was the one that really got him a lot of acclaim. And I think that's the one that really got his job for Blade 2. And from then on, he's just been directing blockbusters. <laughs> so, right. And, and I think we even talked about it, too, that, that, that some of the creatures in this are, are they look like 
the creature from the Black Lagoon or something out of classic Universal monster like lore. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, we were rem- remembering while watching this that, you know, most recently he he was winning Oscars for The Shape of Water, uh, or at least like is now like in the Oscar contender, you know, category uh, because his film like it, he's one of those guys that has his style of movie and is really bringing like some of this like indie sensibility to like big sci-fi movie. He knows how to make um really he knows how to take scary monsters and somehow make them palatable somehow brings like humanity out of these monsters and that's what's really cool oh and lastly it's also great to spotlight a hispanic director during hispanic heritage month i know totally on accident (laughs) it's a cool like intersection of hispanic heritage month and halloween season I know it's really funny how that works because we—I did not plan that at all when I put this movie on my on my uh, on my list for spooky season. I literally picked it because I was like, I want to see a horror movie with like a superhero horror movie, and the first thing that came to mind was Hellboy, and I was like, I fucking love Hellboy, so this works. <laughs> um, I guess one other thing I wanted to add is it, which just kind of summarizes uh, the feel of not only. Guillermo del Toro as a uh, director and a filmmaker, but also like kind of the feel of this film was, I remember there was this quote that Guillermo del Toro had uh, when he won the Oscar uh, where he talked about how his goal wasn't um, was to like present uh, monsters in a way where you, yeah, like they bring you fear or something like that, but they're not something you should be afraid of. And it's like um, pretty much what like something about erasing like the the general fear of things um, from when he was like a child and he wants to be able to like help other people get over their own fears. And that's why he like makes these monsters, um, you know, so accessible and like brings out like human qualities to them almost. Right. Because the main character of this movie for all intents and purposes is literally a devil. Literally the son (laughs) of Satan. Yes. So I think with that, let's just jump into it. So uh, this movie opens up with a bunch of lore dump. So be ready for, (laughs) for that. But it's set. uh, The movie opens up in 1944, Scotland, where a paranormal investigator by the name of Trevor Broom is being accompanied accompanied by American soldiers during World War II, and they were dispatched to this island in the middle of a storm because they believe that Nazi occultists are going to open a portal to another dimension, bringing about these chaos gods called the Ogdru Jihad. So. A lot gets thrown at you right from the beginning. And now... Yes. It, you know what? I would probably argue that one of the first problems that I have with this movie isn't... It's not that it's got to break down the lore. Like, I get it. I know we're going to have to get to this lore somehow so that the movie makes sense. It's just the way that it's presented. It feels like way too many other movies that I've seen. And it's not through Hellboy's fault. Like, there's a ton of this stuff where it's like, oh, yeah, cool. Like... uh you know, mo- like mutated supernatural like characters in a World War II setting. It's like there's no way I couldn't think of Captain America, the first Avenger, while mm-hmm. watching this, or some of like the really awful like 
Wolverine Origins, like early stuff, like you know, or even Overlord, if you've seen that, which is yeah. a like horror movie set in World War II as well, like a horror action movie. <laughs> um, it's one of those things where it you almost roll your eyes at this trope. But back in 2004, this hadn't been done as much, or at least not to death. <laughs> so I totally understand how if you watch it with 20 like 2021 eyes, you're like, oh, this trope again. Yeah. So back not in- the movie's fault. Not the movie's yeah. fault at all. But I know while we were watching it, I think you were giving me a lot of side eye during this. And that's because it, w- it was hard for me to get into. And I don't think it's just because I wasn't in the mood to watch it at that moment. I legitimately think I, it's just... It it, it it drudges through what it has to, and I just don't know. I don't know if there's a better way to do this. It's just for some reason, it just felt so overdone to me that I couldn't. It took me a while to really get into it. Yeah, and plus, you're not a huge war movie fan. It's a very like selective genre of movie to be able to sit through. So if you think this is what your movie is going to be like, it can take you out of it. Um, and that's the thing. You can't have the birth of hellboy like you can't introduce hellboy as an origin story without including this scene because it's like literally this scene is ripped from the comic i think what i told you is the only difference is there's a superhero character named the torch of liberty that joins uh professor broom and this uh team of soldiers um in finding hellboy but for some reason they didn't include him probably because they didn't want to like do they already have a lot going on and I think explaining a random superhero is just, like, too much. Way easier to do in the comics than it is in a movie. But essentially, the the, the Nazi occultists are, are led by Grigori Rasputin, who, yes, it is supposed to be that Rasputin, the Russian's favorite love machine. <laughs> We're talking about the guy that helped, uh, you know, essentially change all of Russia be, by getting drunk and just banging people back at the turn of the century. Uh, he also leads with an uh, SS officer by the name of Karl Rupert Cronin and Ilse von Hopstein. So the important thing about these characters, they're the villains of the rest of the movie. So as they start opening a gateway, like this giant energy blue light portal, uh, we see kind of the massive scale that are the Ogdru Jihad. And they're like these Cthulhu snake octopus monsters that are stuck in ice. Uh, at this point, I believe it's uh, one of the captains of the of the uh, military squad ends up throwing a grenade and start essentially jump starting this giant firefight between the Nazis and the Allied forces. And as they start fighting, we get to see Karl Rupert Cronin has like these blades that come out of his arms, and he starts barakaing a bunch of the a bunch of the soldiers. So we get to see some um, some martial arts fighting from him. Uh, meanwhile, Professor Broom uh, confronts him. And right when you think Cronin's about to kill Professor Broom, he gets saved by the sergeant from earlier. And he ends up taking a grenade and throws it into the portal like machine, causing it to explode. And as fragments of the machine go flying around one of them impales through cronin pinning him to a wall and leaving you to assume that he dies uh a bunch of the nazis end up getting captured or killed Uh, but what we see is that rasputin ends up being absorbed into the portal where like 
there's it's really bad cgi but pretty much what happens is chunks of his body come off of him and as he comes up against the portal his back snaps in half and like he just gets folded like a lawn chair and shoved through the portal as it closes the tough thing that happened while we were watching this is okay i have a 4k television and the copy of hellboy that we were watching on streaming was in 4k so when you're watching like the frame rate and just like how super clear high def it is the cgi in some of this is wild animated like it just looks like a cartoon it's so poor at times but you know it's 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 i it didn't bother me like, I think you were probably the one calling it out more than I was. But yeah, this is one of those things where the CGI was definitely noticeable. <laughs> well, I, I called it out because I've never seen this movie in 4K. And I haven't seen this movie since I'm 30. I don't think I've seen it in easily 10 years. And the only times I've seen it were either the DVD copy I owned uh, on TV when it would come on on FX or when I saw it in movie theaters as a kid. And when I was 14 years old watching this movie, I was like, oh my God, it's help. <laughs> I was just more, I was more amazed with the fact that something I've seen in comic books was getting put onto the big screen. And even though Spider-Man had already come out at this point, it was like to see Hellboy, because Hellboy is such a like, you know non-mainstream character and non-mainstream story so i was just more caught up in the fact that oh my god someone finally put this in a movie so this was the it was the new renaissance because Mm -hmm. you know everything was so batman derivative in the 90s and even like i think 2000 x-men to an extent like Mm -hmm. that once spider-man did come out it, it felt like that movie was such an event and I know that we did Spider-Man 2 as part of this podcast, but I, for people who are not around in 2002, like Spider-Man 2 was a fucking event movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was such a big deal that like it makes absolute sense why this like got greenlit and probably got like it, this doesn't feel like the kind of movie that that gets made in the 90s, like it, it which is when the character might have been more popular. And even when studios like New Line were like willing to take risks on stuff like Blade and Spawn, like this really was like, it, it, it was interesting to see them kind of gamble on a character like this. And as you said, like it, it feels like Spider-Man opened up the door for, it really was the movie. And I know that I say when we did our episode of Batman Begins a long time ago, that Batman made it, Batman Begins made it cool to like Batman again. But mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2002 made it cool to like comic books again. 100%. Like, that was the movie that started the trend that we all live in now where everybody is so open about their nerdiness now. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, so after uh, Rasputin gets shoved into the portal, uh, we have a scene of kind of like a back and forth between the photographer and Professor Broom where he asks him if he believes in hell to which uh, Professor Broom um, responds that he believes in a dark place where evil um, where evil resides from and kind of like that's why he does what he does and at this point they get interrupted as something running around makes a bunch of noise the photographer immediately <laughs> opens fire on it and when they see it something it looks like it knocked over a gargoyle and as he flashes the light 
we see a red baby with a giant rock hand and as everyone starts freaking out um and you know like more soldiers come in responding to the fire or to the gunfire we get one of my favorite lines in the entire movie is when the sergeant sees the sees baby hellboy and let says look at the size of that whammer it's such an out of place 1940s line i freaking <laughs> loved it <laughs> yeah. uh, so all the soldiers uh you know go on the defensive uh broom is able to using a baby ruth bar he's able to convince um a baby hellboy to come down and he holds him in his arms and essentially everyone sees that he's just a child so he ends up becoming the unofficial like mascot of this unit which in the comics i believe they go on to do more um occult missions kind of imagine like uh captain america and the howling commandos um yeah so but at least for this movie we just uh see that the soldiers are the ones that name him hellboy and then we get a very weird title sequence (laughs) that kind of plays through a lot of um newspaper headlines and show us you know hellboy and really cool red letters on fire right um so we open to 60 years later where Cronin and Ilsa, they go somewhere, what appears to be, I'm assuming is like in Tibet, but they end up going to this like ritualistic land where there's like a bunch of um, like runes on the floor and they end up bringing a guide who obviously doesn't want to be there, but he demands getting paid for being there. And it has like this really weird interaction between the two. But what ends up happening is that Cronin uh, ends up killing him and using their blood or using his blood, they resurrect uh, Rasputin. And this is where we get introduced to one of our characters, uh, FBI agent Tom, John Myers, sorry, not Tom. Uh, And John Myers is essentially one of the straight men. (laughs) Like, I think, and it's really important to have a character like this uh, in these types of movies, in my opinion, just because you need someone to kind of ground the audience and you need someone for the audience to be able to focus on, especially when everything starts going off the rails, you know, it's always good to have that character. You don't, you don't think so? No, no, no. I'm totally fine with him being the straight man. It's just, um, I feel like I had a hard time in the, this part of the movie trying to figure out like, who's the character I'm supposed to be paying most attention to. Mm-hmm. And I and what I don't like about this is I get that we have to have the character that kind of breaks the, that kind of like helps us explain the world that we're living in, but it mm-hmm. feels like things like I don't know maybe the studio didn't feel like that they didn't want to give Ron Perlman too much, and that's why they're like, all right, well here's a guy who's not Ron Perlman. <laughs> we're gonna try to get in here to to uh, you know to to I guess like. You know, it's it just it feels weird. It, there's certain parts of it where it feels like it should be more Hellboy than it is. Yeah, I agree with that because I think we don't see Hellboy for a good maybe what ten, almost fifteen minutes later after John Myers gets introduced. It's like that. It's like that fucking. You know, we did Batman '89 in the show a couple of years ago, and they have that weird like the reporter character that like takes so much center stage in that movie for reasons unknown like he's not even a character in comics or anything like that and it's just 
it, it feels like that's the character that gets inserted <laughs> that gets inserted into these movies when they when they like fear that the audience isn't gonna isn't gonna understand it and just needs like someone who gets everything explained and you know i think normally it's annoying but i think in this movie where it's very non-mainstream and also they are dealing with very kooky concepts to begin with it's kind of okay to have a character like that um but anyway yeah so we so we get brought or we find out that john myers uh gets brought in at the special request of dr uh broom uh, the reason for this is we also find out that Dr. Broom, uh, or early in the film, it, it opens with, or there's a scene with him at the doctor's office where it appears, they don't they don't outright say it, but you're left to understand that he has cancer. Um, and so when he ends up leaving the office and kind of this is where we see him walk through what appears to be like upstate New York or I guess uh, someplace in New Jersey. And this is where we also get introduced. To... <laughs> yeah, this feels like it, it It just feels like, uh, what do you usually call it? Non-distinct <laughs> New yeah. York City. Or legally just like, distinct. <laughs> yeah, legally distinct New York City or could literally be Gotham or like, it's just, yeah, it, it, is, it is generic comic book city land yeah because it looks like it, it looks like new york but then at the same time like it looks like all goth people live in it at the same time a hundred percent and this is where we get introduced to jeffrey tambor who plays uh the director of the fbi <laughs> who he's discrediting any reports about hellboy and then we later find out that he actually works with the uh, bprd which stands for the bureau of paranormal research and defense uh, but pretty much uh, John Myers gets transferred to the Bureau um, and he gets sent to this, what is supposed to be a waste disposal place or a waste disposal office where uh, he gets scanned in. They do a retinal scan that for some reason there's a giant like torch or like bonfire <laughs> at the entrance of the building. And as he, um, you know, he introduces himself to the main guard an elevator drops him down into the lower levels where he sees where the real BPRD is. Um, so here he gets introduced to uh, Fishman by the name of Abe Sapien, who very clearly is like the, the um, what's it called? Um, the infant stages of the shape of water Fishman. <laughs> yes. And he also looks like... Uh... It looks like the same character that this actor plays in Pan's Labyrinth, right? Yeah. So it's actually really interesting because if I remember correctly, he physically gets played by a completely different person. I think Doug Jones plays him. Yes, Doug Jones. That and is then, the actor's name. And if you see the face of Doug Jones, you'll realize who he is. But he's like this former like professional dancer. So he's really good at these really ooky spooky movements <laughs> um which is like he I mean, he goes on to do it in uh i think he does yeah like you said i think in pan's labyrinth yeah you i mean you can tell he he's everything he does is kinetic and it's like uh it's using your body like an instrument and, and if I, that in and, and if that makes sense to you i mean just seriously watch the scenes where he's swimming watch mm-hmm. the movements that he does the fact that his character in pan's labyrinth like has eyes on his hands and like just like in the way he extends his hands out in that movie and stuff like that it's it's 
Trust me, you, you will you, you'll get everything about him when you see it. And that's kind of good. Like the shorthand and all of that. Like you don't need to you don't need to over explain. I should uh, I should have shown it to you before we started this podcast. Uh, Doug Jones does double duty in Hellboy 2 Golden Army, where he actually plays uh, Angel of Death, like the Angel of Death. And that might be the most terrifying like Angel of Death design but one of the coolest scenes because of the way he moves around. Um, but yeah, like I'll probably send that to you later. Uh, but yeah, another thing, uh, Abe Sapien is played, or his voice actor is actually David Hyde Pierce. So you have one of those situations where the body's played by one person, the voice is played by another. David Hyde Pierce does great voice work in this movie. <laughs> uh, but we, you know, not to get too much into Abe Sapien, but because the movie doesn't either but essentially he gets his name because he was found in a fish tank like this weird tank uh with the inscription ethiosapien uh 1868 so because he was had the year that abe lincoln died they ended up putting abe and sapien together kind of a dark joke really (laughs) but we find out that abe sapien has uh like these telepathic powers where he's able to read people's minds um, and learn people learn all about people based on just touching them. So he's kind of, so he's got, so he's more of a um, intelligence guy, less of a uh, big punchy hero guy. Uh, And then here um, is when Myers gets taken along by another agent by the name of clay and we finally get to meet Hellboy. <laughs> so we get to see full-grown Hellboy. Um, and, you know, he, we, we do the scene again where Dr. Broom gives him the Babe Ruth so that when he goes and meets him, he can try to calm him down with the Babe Ruth. Um, it's funny when that happens because Hellboy even, like, he takes that to under... Like, he sees the Babe Ruth in John Myers' hand and he takes that to understand that his dad's back. Um, and yeah, that's the other thing. We find out that Uh, Professor Broom has essentially raised uh, Hellboy to be a paranormal investigator and essentially to stop the apocalypse. Um, And right off the bat, the makeup design for Hellboy, like top to bottom, it looks like it was ripped out of the comics. I think the biggest difference is in the comics, he has more goat legs. Um, you know, here he looks like he has regular human legs plus the plus the boots. But honestly, it doesn't matter. It no. looks so freaking cool. Man. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if like the 2019 one, they go more goat leg accurate. Actually, <laughs> I think given given the CGI that we have, it's like you're only going to go as far as you can. And it really doesn't matter. Like, I feel like this was a time when they kind of even experimented with characters. It's like you had Spider-Man who had organic web shooters. Uh, Wolverine didn't wear a Wolverine costume. Like, this is, you know, this is a time when it was normal to kind of to to play with the look a bit. So surprisingly, I think the the one with David Harbour was very similar. He looks very similar to uh, Ron Perlman's Hellboy. And the reason for that is I think when Mike Mignola, like if I remember correctly, it might've been something I just got off of Reddit. So, uh, you know, fact check me if y'all want, (laughs) but my understanding was Mike Mignola, like when he wrote the rights away, he, one of the reasons, or one of the 
one of the uh, caveats he included was that Hellboy has to have a very specific look. And uh, he, you know, he has to approve it first. So he real like in his eyes, supposedly the Ron Perlman look was like the perfect look. And that pretty much that's it. Like that's how Hellboy should look from now on. <laughs> so that's why if there's any reboots or anything, they try really hard to, you know, go back to that Ron Perlman look. Um, so here we get sent out on our first mission where we find out that uh, there's a monster loose at the museum. So Abe Sapien, or so Abe and Hellboy are sent in a what looks like a garbage truck. <laughs> um, but that's kind of the cover they use to go into any, you know, to be able to do their cases. Uh, Hellboy goes in, tries to find the creature they're fighting, which turns out to be a re a resurrection like hellhound, a resurrecting hellhound called uh, Samael which leads to a fight between Hellboy and this creature. Hellboy ends up getting thrown out of the window of the museum and lands down on uh, in a street alley. Mm-hmm. Where... This is a really good accent scene, by the way. Oh, I the really, great. I really appreciated this. And, and the, you know, this was the moment in the movie. I was like, okay, I understand why you like this. <laughs> we, you know, we watch a lot of comic book movies and now it's just like, we're just so fucking inundated with it all the time that it's just it's it's good to to just you have to look at how good an action scene for a comic book movie can be right because in this one we're not going to have the the one or two rounds with the main villain of the movie it just it, it is like and these things feel enough like killing machines that it, it does feel like you know what it feels like it feels like something out of terminator to me yeah <laughs> And because I, I have to, I have because I've never read this comic. I'm like just relating it to other things that I've seen, but it's really cool. And it has like several levels to it. And then there's even the part of it that goes to the subway as well. It's just mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like that this jumps from one thing to another, very like smoothly. And and that's how the comics are. A lot of the times, it's Hellboy and the BPRD showing up to a location where there's some supernatural activity. They'll do an actual investigation where they go and talk to people. They'll they'll uh, they'll investigate local folklore to find out what the monster is or what what the whatever the thing is going on. And you get bits of that too because in this like leading up to the big monster fight between Hellboy and Samael, you have like the part where the BPRD pulls out this giant bookcase. And right away, Abe starts reading through and, you know, reading through books as to what the creature could be based on the on the uh, what's it called the statue it was locked in on. So he starts reading off and he, you know, he starts relaying all this information to Hellboy. So it's like and I think you mentioned it when we were watching. It's like really cool because it's like the proto superhero team. Right. It's like the proto team arrow as we talk about whenever we watch Arrow, um, you know, how it's not just the Hellboy going in there like a regular superhero. It's like, no, this is an operation and people, you know, it's, there, there's teams and people are working together. Um, and also I do want to mention in the fight scenes in this movie, what I do love about it, it's they do something Marvel also uh, tried to do Um where they do switch between practical effects as much as they can and then use CGI. 
Yeah, you know, and that was also really interesting to me. Like, this feels like a time where you think that that you're either going to do too much of one and too much or too much of the other. Because if you go back and watch the Spider-Man movies, you accept the CGI for what it is, but you know the CGI like has not aged very well in those Raimi movies. And I think the reason why this movie kept grabbing my attention is there were certain scenes where, like we said, we're looking at the CGI and it looks really poor. But then there's other scenes, like there's there's other like shots where you're seeing like practical monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, or the fact that, you know, that they, 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 they opted not to do anything overly CGI with Ron Perlman's look and the fact that it's all makeup, it just gives it a grounded reality that, uh, that you're probably not going to get in a 2021 movie. It's just, everything is just so much CGI that it, it really does feel a bit like a throwback to see, to see the amount of practical effects in this that you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you mentioned, Hellboy ends up chasing the uh, semi-L creature uh, throughout, you know, New York or through certain blocks in New York. Uh, He ends up being confronted by Rasputin and he uh, points his gun at him. But, you know, at this point, the the apparition disappears. Uh, Myers ends up bailing, um, bailing Hellboy out of being attacked. And as they both chase after Samael, the creature like goes through like heavy traffic and this is like what is possibly the fastest most busy like street i have ever seen in a city (laughs) and it's like as they try to run hellboy like takes his time running through uh john myers ends up getting clipped by one of the cars like looking like he hurt his hand and as an oncoming vehicle almost runs him over and i don't think this is from the comic so this shot was created just for the movie Hellboy ends up saving Myers' life by like slamming his rock fist into the car's like the front end of the car, making it flip over both of them, keeping them safe. Such a cool shot. <laughs> it's like the proto Dark Knight scene when the when the truck ends up when uh Batman ends up flipping the 18-wheeler over. So fantastic. <laughs> so uh Hellboy ends up leaving Myers. It gets into a fight with um ends up getting a fight with Samael down on the in the subway line where Hellboy ends up getting <laughs> when Samael jumps through the subway train and keeps running through Hellboy tries to follow after him but ends up getting beaten by the uh by the train conductor <laughs> who thinks he's a demon and we get that funny interaction where Hellboy like yells at him hey I'm on your side <laughs> and the train conductor is just like yeah whatever buddy it just like smacks him again um so after hellboy you know gets essentially run over by the train <laughs> yeah the train beats the shit out of him boys on he, the floor he ends up uh getting in the he ends up electrocuting samuel using the third rain uh the third rail of the subway station or the subway system uh killing the creature uh setting it on fire so you know right off the bat one of the some things to note that make hellboy also different from other superheroes he gets his ass kicked a lot, you know? Yes. And the- I think to the point where when we were watching this, I had a question about, you know, does he have like, is, is it just that he has super strength or does he have like self-healing capabilities like Wolverine? Uh, because he does experience like skin piercing punishment that 
you wouldn't be able to survive unless you were some kind of I'm a DC reader, so I always think like metahuman or mm-hmm. mutated person. <laughs> and yeah, he's a hundred percent like has super strength and he's hard to kill. And you know, he heals and ages, he heals faster than most like he has a healing factor and he ages much slower than regular humans. Like 60 years have passed by and he's barely out of his 20s, like physically. Um, I think even Clay says literally that in the movie. <laughs> Uh, but at this point, he ends up turning his locator off and we get introduced to uh, Liz Sherman, played by Selma Blair. I almost blanked on her name. <laughs> so uh, Liz is a also a member of the BPRD, but she has uh, pyrokinetic abilities and she's not able to control her uh, powers all that well. So she commits herself to an asylum to be able to work through her trauma and learn to gain control of her powers. But much to Hellboy's, like, kind of chagrin, um, he can't really go see her unless he breaks out of his uh, apartment. I don't even know what to call it, his basement, to go see her. Um, And right off the bat, like, you know that she's his love interest. And, you know, he tries to convince her to come back to the BPRD, but she says that you know now she's getting better and like she can control her fire powers and if that she really if he really does love her that he will let her uh just kind of work to get better and i believe at this point is when we go oh we cut back to the we cut back to the museum where Abe finds out more about uh, Rasputin, and he finds out that Samael uh, is able to uh, is able to resurrect itself, and this is also where he finds out that Professor Broom is dying. Uh, so they they realize that Samael has laid a bunch of eggs somewhere in the subway system, so they come up with a new mission to go after the uh, go after the eggs. So Abe, Hellboy, and a couple FBI agents go into the subway to look for him, using Abe to try to locate where the eggs are. They end up using flamethrowers to kind of burn the burn the egg clutches to the ground. But at this point, they get separated by having, I believe, Samael attack. Uh, yeah, ends up attacking Hellboy. Hellboy goes and chases after him, which leads to another fight between this other Samael and Hellboy, where they end up fighting their way through another subway station, this time in front of people. And I, I, <laughs> I enjoy the scene where, you know, there's a lot more CGI, but we have the cool scene where uh, Hellboy like rips a payphone off a wall and starts beating the monster with it. Uh, the monster tries to like shoot his tongue at Hellboy and he catches it and he ends up spinning him around by the tongue until he like throws him through like a plate class window and as the creature and Hellboy are having like a tug of war uh, Hellboy's trying to save these kittens he ends up giving enough slack for that (laughs) so that a subway train just comes up and murders the shit out of the monster Uh, but while Hellboy's fighting the creature uh, the, FBI, the FBI agents end up getting jumped by another monster. Abe gets attacked by a monster underwater. And C- Agent Clay ends up getting attacked by Cronin, 
who ends up stabbing him to death. And then we see Cronin kind of twists this weird timepiece on his chest, which caused him to go into convulsions and essentially stop his body functions. And he lays down on the ground right next to Agent Clay. And Hellboy returns, uh, finding essentially the entire operation gone to shit. Right. It's a complete, it's a complete failure at this point. Mm-hmm. Complete 180 from what they were able to, to accomplish the night before. And that's the other thing. This is literally like within two nights. Right. Or maybe it, it's, within, it's, like, the, it's the movie. Once you get into it, it moves at such a brisk like pace. Yeah, I think that's a good thing is that you can say that this movie suffers from a really weird pacing issue up until that first night or that that up until the museum. Once they get to the museum, that's where this takes off like a freight train. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Jeffrey Tambor's character, director Tom Manning, ends up uh, getting in this argument with Hellboy. Um, yeah, because he because uh he he blames hellboy like he hates the bprd he hates hellboy he thinks that it's dumb to have a monster chasing after other monsters um and he so he he thinks that hellboy's reckless and that he's just putting more people in danger uh while this is happening uh we actually see john myers he goes to uh he goes he tries to learn more about liz and I guess the night that Hellboy went to visit Liz, she also was uh, approached by Rasputin, who ends up making her lose control of her powers and causes her to demolish the entire asylum and burn it to the ground. Uh, we get a scene, a flashback scene of the first time she lost um, control of her powers, where she leveled. In the comics, it goes a little bit more into it. But she levels like four square blocks in I think Kansas City. She this like just it hits a rogue like in X Men to me, of like where it's like, I mean there is more of a romantic angle between Hell between she and Hellboy, but it does feel a little rogue and Wolverine in the way that it's kind of like our main character is is the one who believes that she can be redeemed even though like her powers are can be a danger to others and it's funny because she wants to be locked away like she doesn't want to hurt anybody but it's like hellboy that believes that she belongs with you know them right (laughs) like she belongs to the bprd and she belongs on this team um so uh, I believe it, yeah, Myers ends up going to see her after she loses control of her powers and convinces her to come back to the BPRD. And as she returns, you see the Hellboy chuck like a piece of medical equipment through glass. <laughs> and Tom Manning's just entire, like, you know, furious and they're just getting in the shouting match. Um, and you know, Hellboy is like grateful that Myers was able to bring back uh, bring back Liz. Uh, so Liz and Myers end up going on a date to go get coffee. Hellboy being Hellboy <laughs> and completely jealous of the situation ends up cha- like sneaking sneaking around rooftops, following them, and he ends up meeting like a nine year old boy 
who you know as they're like talking he's he's pretty much bearing his soul to this kid and the kid's like hellboy why don't you just go tell her how you feel he's like what do you know about adult love (laughs) like it's really funny it's like this cute back and forth but meanwhile we go back to uh back to the bprd we see uh professor broom like pouring over um just uh information about semiel about rasputin and he ends up seeing that and oh we we also get the scene of cronin coming back so they recover cronin's body who's down in the morgue and he ends up waking up and putting his costume and his metal hand or his uh, robotic hand back on and he looks so creepy like his lips are his lips were taken off his skin looks stapled together he has no eyelids it's very freddy krueger looking honestly (laughs) it's like really cool design for this character uh but we see him come back in his full costume to which broom says i see the puppet now where's the puppeteer and finally rasputin reveals himself and he ends up giving broom a vision of hellboy essentially starting the apocalypse yeah (laughs) and being at full power and then you see this like hellish landscape of everything is red and you see tentacles floating in the sky and hellboy uh his horns have fully grown and wearing like a crown made of fire super metal looking i loved it (laughs) You know, to, to which Broom responds that, um, or I think uh, Rasputin tries to tries to um, taunt Broom by saying, oh, do you want to know what the child's real name is? To which Broom responds, I know what I'm going to call him. I call him son. And it's like right at that moment, they're playing, um, what's that song by Vera Lynn? Uh, we'll meet again. Yes. And so, yeah, they're playing that song and Cronin ends up stabbing Broom right through the throat, killing him. It's so weird because we talk about, like, tonal shifts in this movie. The the tonal shift to, like, it's just the relationship between him and Hellboy is, like, it, it, it shouldn't... Like it should be, it should feel uneven with the kind of movie that this is now, and the fact that it's gonna have to get really serious and sad. But for some reason, it super works, and you know, you feel a lot of empathy for for him in this moment. Like, it's just it's weird. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where it's like this. It's I recently just watched the second Venom movie, and Mm -hmm. man, those Venom movies I imagine they're absolutely nothing like the comic books that they're based on. Mm -hmm. But they they for some reason are able to tap into this weird like tone that shouldn't work at all that somehow happens to work for me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's kind of where this is at. I was definitely sad uh, that we were gonna have that this was the person that was gonna be lost to kind of put the climax into motion like it's like we've seen uncle ben die before we've seen the waynes die before yes it is the classic superhero needs to lose someone close to them to understand their mission going forward trope and you know what's crazy is in the comic book when professor broom dies super anticlimactic it does like literally hellboy sees him and a moment later, he like leaves the room, and then he hears screaming, and he comes back, 
and it's like the monster that that uh samuel's based on just like snapped his neck in like the brief moment he was gone and you're just like what the fuck is going on so at, at the very least in the comic book or i mean compared to the comic book i do like seeing that you got to his send-off was a little bit has a little bit more gravitas to it you know um and yeah you you feel for him like between the music the way it's shot like you get the scene of uh the fbi agents loading his casket onto the uh, onto the hearse and then you see hellboy just like holding his father's rosary as he like stands um kind of like above everyone on this platform like just standing in the in the pouring rain um really cool visuals like they have really good music um and you know we get we get a conversation between abraham or abe and and liz we're talking where liz is talking about um you know whether she doesn't know if she belongs here or not uh to which abe kind of convinces her to stay um saying that he needs her now more than ever because you know she kind of grounds him and plus and i love the line like it's it, it's something that i thought would be in more more fitting in um like say x-men or something but it fits here for obvious reasons but he goes you know we freaks have to stay together um and here like our last act of the movie we find out that um rasput whatever rasputin is planning wherever it is we know it's in russia so the fbi like a joint task force of bprd and fbi end up uh, getting transport to Russia. Uh, Liz ends up joining. So the team is made of Manning, who wants to like oversee everything, Hellboy, Myers, uh, Liz, and essentially what is a bunch of red shirts. <laughs> so when they get to Russia, Hellboy ends up re- uh, uh, resurrecting a old like Russian zombie guy <laughs> named Ivan Klimentovich. And they have a very adversarial relationship because Ivan would have been very happy staying dead. And he's, oh, and you know, he calls Hellboy a red monkey. And he, you know, one of my favorite lines is he says, if he still had legs, he would kick Hellboy's ass. But essentially he guides the, he guides our team through uh, these Russian catacombs in this like massive graveyard. Yeah. And then as it opens up, this is kind of where it gets little, uh, where we get some Indiana Jones stuff. <laughs> yeah, this cute little zombie monster. <laughs> I know, right? Like it's it's one of those things where it's like he's supposed to be threatening and intimidating to everyone around him, but because he has no legs, he is quite adorable. Right, and like everyone has to carry him on the back, and at one point Hellboy's like, "I'm really tired of this guy. He's super negative," and he ends up passing him to another FBI agent. But here, our teams end up getting split, and while Hellboy and Manning go through like this catwalk bridge that starts getting smashed by giant hammers, uh, one of them ends up taking out our FBI agent and our Ivan the zombie. And uh, Hellboy manages to save Manning, throwing him to safety, and he ends up also getting to safety last minute by you know pulling his tail in right before the door closes on it. <laughs> and then our other team ends up finding the um, the entire like clutch of Samael eggs, 
Uh, but while they're making their way there, uh, Manning and Hellboy get into a fight with Cronin, where uh, Cronin ends up getting the the best of Hellboy by like pulling this trap door and almost impaling him on like a Mortal Kombat like floor of spikes. Um, Manning ends up saving him by th- like frisbee throwing uh, cogs at Cronin giving Hellboy enough time to wrap a rope around his head and throwing him down into the pit, impaling him. But as we know, Cronin apparently can't die, so the next best thing Hellboy does is throw a giant, like, metal cog on top of Cronin, trapping him there essentially forever. (laughs) And at this point, our other team ends up getting attacked by the Samael monsters. Uh, Liz ends up shouting for hellboy to help who ends up punching his way through the floor managing uh, to save them he ends up taking a bunch of these monsters on by himself until um myers ends up triggering sherman uh, liz sherman's powers so she ends up like letting off this giant like fire blast that ends up killing all the samael monsters ends up um destroying all the eggs and knocking all our heroes unconscious essentially yeah but i i'm shocked that myers didn't die at this moment i know that was the only thing that i wasn't like logically i wasn't weird about because i was right. like like blue flame think, would have absolutely killed him like just being around her as she turned on the blue flame <laughs> would have been enough to kill him <laughs> Like it, and, but I love that shot, and I think I mentioned it to you how I like the way they handle her powers because it's like, yeah, when when at least my understanding is when fire is blue is because it's burning off the most oxygen, making it the hottest it could be. Mm-hmm. So I like the fact that around her the fire always looks blue, and it's like as she extends out, that's where we start seeing the regular fire colors. I also um, really yeah. like the way that this looked in the 4K format. It, it the special effects looked really cool in this moment. Oh yeah, I this this looked really dope in 4K. I really enjoyed that shot. So here, um, you know, Hellboy and Myers uh, gain uh, regain consciousness. Uh, Meyer sees that Ilsa has destroyed the grenade belt timer that they had. Originally, the plan was they were going to set these grenades off to kill all the Samael egg clutches. Uh, we see Hellboy is like chained um, in what looks like these, like a stock, like an old timey stock with a bunch of runes written on it. And he ends up telling, and uh, he ends up confront or rescue and confronts him saying that uh the only way to get out is for him to speak his true name and fulfill his destiny as the right hand of doom and start the apocalypse uh hellboy initially refuses but then rasputin ends up stealing uh liz's soul uh and i guess killing her like this part is kind of left um up to interpretation it's uh, this is the part that where it feels really similar to the end of Blade 2 and only because we're not covering it here and spoiler alert for anyone who has not seen Blade 2 even though there should be a statute of limitations on this but um, 
but spoiler alert for Blade 2, uh, they introduced a uh, female character that is both presented as Blade's equal and kind of like she's the one who ends up uh, putting to an end. Like she, she's the one who sets uh, sets off the events that like destroy the main villain in that film and uh, dies while it happens. So. It's this. This felt a really like a really similar thing to that. It's like there's someone this powerful may not be able to exist in this world, and that was Jessica Biel, which gave us Blade Trinity. <laughs> it was not Jessica Biel. <laughs> she oh, was only Blade in Blade Tr- Trinity. <laughs> Blade Trinity is so fucking bad, <laughs> but that's a different podcast. Oh man! So after Rasputin ends up taking her soul. Uh, Hellboy, um, Hellboy speaks his true name, Anumun Rama, op- you know, releasing his bindings. Uh, the runes on his hands start glowing on his rock hand. His horns end up growing to like full length and he gets the fire crown. And one thing to note is that if you see any art about Hellboy, you always see that his horns are shaved down. And the reason he does that is so that he looks more human. So the fact that, you know, he willingly has given into his, like, you know, it kind of shows the importance of him willingly giving into his demon side. Um, so Hellboy goes to start unlocking the uh, the gateway for the Oju Jihad. So he ends up putting his hand into one of the holes, opens the keys, uh, opens the key and then suddenly Myers knocks out Ilsa with like a sweet kick and like axe kick to her face <laughs> and he ends up like uh, getting out of his shackles and ends up throwing um, Professor Broom's rosary right to Hellboy um, shouting remember who you are and as he catches it he you know sees the burnt imprint of the holy cross on his hand um to which you know infuriates Rasputin saying what have they ever done for you they're nothing they're just like cattle giving them that whole you know megalomaniac villain speech um to which Myers reminds uh Hellboy that Broom gave him the ability to choose who he wanted to be and kind of remembering that Hellboy breaks off his um ends up breaking off his horns renouncing his essentially his role as like the jump starter of the uh, apocalypse and as Rasputin starts yelling at him what he's doing Hellboy ends up stabbing him with one of his horns and says I'm choosing and as they leave uh, Rasputin they're dying he goes recovers Liz's body and as they start leaving Rasputin says, oh, my God lives in me. What you brought is just far worse. And then you see like this chest burster octopus monster come flying out of his stomach and slowly start growing. Well, not slowly, sorry. It like grows really fast. And suddenly like, you know, one of its giant tentacles come down, crushing Rasputin and Nilsa. And they're able to get Liz or Hellboy's able to get Liz and Myers to safety. Um, and he said, and you know, like you finally have this moment where uh, Hellboy kind of accepts Myers and he tells him, hey, you're all right. And he's like, I'll be right back. I got to go kick this monster's ass. 
And before he's able to leave, Myers ends up throwing him the grenade belt and tells him just pull the pin and he'll be able to fight the monster or he'll be able to use it to kill the monster. And he asks Hellboy, hey, are you sure you don't need help? To which Hellboy responds, ah, how big could it be? When suddenly one of the giant (laughs) tentacles grabs him and just starts smashing him against like the lights on the ceiling. And we see that the monster has grown to like the size of a skyscraper at this point. (laughs) And it's just like throwing Hellboy around, slamming him. He manages to fight off the monster um, with like a stone sword he ends up finding. But as he starts getting overwhelmed, the creature wants to eat him. So (laughs) as Hellboy gets eaten... He ends up pulling the pins on the grenade and suddenly the the grenades go off, killing the monster from the inside out. And Hellboy comes out completely covered in slime. And I think this is where I made the joke about how this is pretty much the ending of Men in Black. (laughs) So Hellboy ends up going back to Liz and uh, Myers and finds out that Liz still hasn't come back. So he ends up whispering something in her ear um which apparently is the magic words that kind of bring her soul back into her body so they're able to embrace they share a kiss uh and the movie ends with myers kind of talking about like the importance of a man making a choice in his life and roll credits and that's hellboy yeah and my understanding is that this myers guy does not come back in the second movie no (laughs) it sucks because i i I was telling you about it he was doing a lot of broadway shows after this so he couldn't commit for hellboy 2 so the way they write him off is that him and hellboy get in an argument so hellboy has him shipped off to uh some antarctica outpost (laughs) and there's even a joke that it's like yeah whenever he wants to he can come back so um, but yeah, like that's the movie. That's that's Hellboy. Um, it goes on to have a sequel, The Golden Army, which is, I mean, depending on who you talk to, is as good or maybe not as good. But yeah, I guess let's go into final thoughts. What'd you think of this movie? What did you like this movie, Angel? I actually did, and um, I wasn't sure if I was going to, especially because with those rough, like early scenes. And just like how long it took me to get into this movie. But, you know, I appreciated the fact that I watched it. And I, even though I had never read any of these comic books, again, it's like the language of this. I was able to connect it to so many other things that I've seen. You know, like it felt very Blade 2 to me. It felt very X-Men 2 to me. Uh, It uh, There was like elements of Batman in it. it. It's it's it is similar enough to the other stuff that was around at the time that, like I said, it just fits right into this time period. And I would go back to it the same way that I would go back to those X-Men movies or uh, the Blade series at some point. Obviously, we've moved into a different phase of comic book films, but I do like this little time capsule of early to mid-aughts like comic book films when it before it was about like all this universe building and it got super ultra serious and gritty uh like it would get a few years later so uh definitely i did enjoy this movie and uh, i'm glad i did get to watch it i think that's something really interesting you you put about how serious comic book movies take themselves now and it's like yeah these movies were still fun 
like yeah hellboy was dark but it was still a fun movie spider-man was fun like this one this was a time when these movies still had a sense of humor and they could still be enjoyable you know and that's just what this movie is like to me going back i watch it it's very it's just a fun horror superhero movie you know like yeah there there's spooky themes to it um the monster designs are fantastic and very creepifying um it's just like top to bottom it's a a, it's one of my favorite movies like let me just put it that way it's one of my favorite characters uh like what this movie is to me is just like is like what the good type of storytelling you can get when you literally when you literally take a comic book and essentially act like this is your storyboard you know, like, yeah, they took some liberties. Yeah, they did a lot of changes. But, you know, I am i don't think I've ever, like, seen a comic book movie that captures the feel and the spirit of what, specifically what that comic book was about, as well as this movie did. Um, so if you get a chance to read the comics, go for it. They're all fun. Uh, they're really cool. Um, because one of the things that they do is they really do draw on a lot of uh folklore and not just like western european folklore but like you know there there's one where hellboy goes to brazil and he fights a bunch of nazis that went into hiding in south america (laughs) there's one where he goes to japan and he ends up fighting the brothers uh lightning and thunder um like he fights um like like it's a good way to get exposed to other cultures and other mythologies you know that aren't just you know western european because yeah i mean that's old (laughs) it gets old after a while um but yeah i love this movie i highly recommend it and if you got a chance definitely check it out and have fun with it cool so uh thanks for joining us for this episode uh please continue to interact with us on social media uh leave us reviews on the apple podcast app if you can try to get the word out uh for the podcast to any of your friends or families, or whatever, uh, by uh, looking up the link on our Instagram page and uh, finding the platform of your choice to listen to this show on. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm glad we got to do this episode of the show. And next week, I'm looking forward to it because we're doing a brand new movie that neither one of us has seen. Actually... The... Oh, wait, I sorry, did. sorry. My fault, my fault, my, my <laughs> fault. You've seen this movie. Um, it's not sorry, I, I got this like confused with uh Halloween kills, so that's yeah, totally that on my fault. Seen. But next week's movie, I am equally excited to see it because I've never seen it either. You've mm-hmm. seen it, um, and this is one of those weird moments where we're gonna get the intersection of the movie podcast that we are now and how before we were a movie podcast, we were a wrestling podcast <laughs> because. <laughs> Uh, because this movie stars uh, Phil CM Punk Brooks. Um, it is Girl on the Third Floor. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this movie. Never seen it. I've read and listened to interviews with CM Punk where he talks about it and, and uh, you know, his influences in the horror genre. So I'm very much looking forward to talking about that movie next week. I think that's his acting debut, too. I don't think he's done anything before Girl on the Third Floor. No, it was yeah, it was his first. It was his first feature film, so which you and, guys can pick up on. Well, not pick up, but you guys can if you have a Netflix subscription. That's gonna be the easiest and best way to watch it. 
Um, so yeah, check it out. Especially my my recommendation is if you love horror, if you love haunted house horror specifically, and if you love body horror, then haha, you're gonna have fun with the movie for next week. All right. So uh, thanks for joining us for this episode, and we'll talk to you guys next week when we do uh, Girl on the Third Floor. Later, y'all.